Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today's podcast is presented by EPRA, the European Public Real Estate Association. Facing global megatrends like green transition and aging population, how will listed real estate contribute to a sustainable future and financial security for Europe? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Davos Confidential. Joining me, Ryan Heath, the author of Politico's Brussels Playbook column, is Matthew Kaminsky, our executive editor here at Politico Europe. Hey Matt. Hey Ryan. Well, it's been Europe's day today at the Forum. Bit of a mixed review sort of situation, I would say. I mean, Angela Merkel isn't going to be remembered in 10 years for that speech, but she showed up, so that's a start, isn't it? It is a bit of sort of the ghost of Europe's past and the and the vision of, of Europe's future, uh, to caricature this a little bit. Uh, you know, Macron uh, got a good reception. I think Merkel gets, as you said, points for even turning up. She wasn't here last year. She uh, seems on her way to forming a government. Uh, but as you know, Ryan, this is a place that moves very fast, Davos. So people have, I think, internalized Europe's day and are now looking ahead to the next two days. Um, and what do, you, what do we have coming up? What are you looking at? Well, Theresa May is coming to do her redo in Davos. She spoke last year and I'll be Didn't honest. go well. No, it was a bit of a flop. She gave a pretty lacerating speech the day before at Lancaster House in London. And then she turned up the next day with the sort of stale message that wasn't really aimed at the people in the room. Uh, so I think her challenge now is if she's really the ambassador for Global Britain, she's got to turn up with a vision for Global Britain. And she has to also talk to the people in the room, not just to her Conservative Party at home. So we need to know what's that tax policy going to be? Mm-hmm. How are they going to do that trade policy? Not just top line messages, but what's the meat of it? Right. Where are the red lines really going to be in Brexit? I think she has a better uh, chance this year. I think last year, the feelings were still very raw among the continental Europeans who felt really betrayed by by what uh, Britain did. Uh, People have internalized Brexit is going to happen, and they're uh, increasingly eager to move beyond Brexit, and especially among the crowd here, which is focused on economics and on trade. And uh, they will be uh, cheering her on um, to make this global Britain a reality, but I suspect they'll also be thinking that uh, she's a, a fairly weak leader and in whom they uh, don't have that much confidence in making this happen. And of course, we had David Cameron getting caught on camera today, where he let slip that Brexit isn't actually going to be as bad as what we thought it was going to be. So that's going to have the Brexiteers cheering back in London. Exactly. I think people, I think David Cameron's made clear that he feared it would be a, a catastrophe, but now he thinks it'll be a bad thing, but, but not a catastrophe. And now we've also got the U.S. delegation coming out in full swing. I saw Rick Perry sweep into his Hilton Hotel with a huge entourage earlier today. And Steve cool Mnookin. new glasses. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Steve Mnookin's been on stage. I caught up with the mooch in one of the corridors where he said he's not even sticking around for Trump's speech on Friday. He's heard <laughs> it all before, he said. And then we had a bunch of other cabinet secretaries and the House Majority Leader was on stage um, today sort of defending Trump's vision. So it is uh, getting ready for How Trump again. 
How did the American appetizer uh, go down? Uh, I wasn't impressed, honestly. I mean, it was the sort of thing that you would sort of get out of a high school debate. They were very loyal to Trump. Elaine Chow, Mitch McConnell's wife, and the transportation secretary. Um, she went a little bit off message um, where she was saying, look, um, America doesn't have to be so worried about China. You know, mm -hmm. it's going to be 40 years before China gets to the same standard of living uh, as America, and they don't understand why America needs to be afraid of them. It was a little bit off from uh, the message that the White House has been putting out. Um, but aside from that, they were basically just saying Trump uh, travels well. You know, he's liked overseas. His tax reform is going to start cascading around the world. Mm -hmm. I think they were overlooking the fact that the OECD has been pushing tax reform for you know, quite a number of years. They seem to think that Trump's uh, new legislation or the, the new US uh, legislation is causing this huge ripple effect around the world. So I don't think they went down that well with the audience, but, yeah. you know, they survived. You know, the main course is going to be Trump, obviously, on fr Friday at 2 o'clock. He's flying in tomorrow. He's going to have a reception for uh, some business leaders, Americans. He's going to have dinner with European CEOs on Thursday night. Um, you know, there's kind of... It's almost a schizophrenic uh, attitude toward Trump that I have been picking up here. There's the division between people who are political and people who are mainly in, into economics. Uh, and the people who are into politics are quite concerned about the noises out of Washington, the kind of the circus of Washington politics for the last year, but more. And then the people who are into economics who are certainly cheering on the taxes. You know, they want They're America to be They're laughing all the way in, to the bank, aren't they? They are, but they also, America needs to be the engine of global growth, and if America grows, Europe grows, and that's a good thing. But there's that feeling of, of worry about his trade policy, and this week it came out after solar panels and washing machines. And if bigger things happen, like on steel, if he starts a trade war, that'll send a chill through this crowd. Um, so I think they... They're ready to be comforted by him if he says things that I'm America first, but I want America to be a global leader on economics. They're also ready to be slapped in the face where he's sort of coming into the lion's den and kind of, you know, playing the, the part of the, of the anti-globalist, um, albeit he's a New York billionaire. But anyway. Well, people are going to have a real choice to make by the end of the week because the European plus Canada crowd has really laid out its stall. Mm -hmm. India was just... A pretty much a no-show, basically, Yeah. Um, at least in the political rhetoric front. And then you'll have Trump on the other side. So people will know where they stand come Friday afternoon. Now it's time to jump into our feature interviews. Werner Hoyer, president of the European Investment Bank. Thank you for joining us on Davos Confidential. Pleasure. So we've got uh, Mr. Trump arriving. Uh, he's a bit of a mobilizing force. He gets uh, Europe united and some other people uh, angry at the same time. What's your perspective on the role he needs to play here this week? Well, there is a great expectation. He has the chance on Friday to return to the path of multilateralism and international cooperation. If that could be the news of Friday, it would be sensational. Uh, my belief is so far somewhat limited because if he does not give reassurances to the future role of the United States in the multilateral worlds and contexts, I believe there will be enormous vacua coming up which Asians and Europeans will have to fill and Latin Americans 
that will be very difficult. But at the end of the day, I think there is the resolve of the others to do it. And so in that sense, Trump can actually also be an opportunity and something that really forces Europe to get its act together. Well, simply repeating America first uh, might uh, charm some of his voters in America, maybe very many, but certainly nobody in the rest of the world. And therefore, I hope the administration is seeing this as a huge opportunity to come to better terms with the rest of the world. Now, another important role the European Investment Bank has is making sure Europe can plan for the long term and really get organized. Um, how do you see your role in, for example, a deepening Eurozone and uh, working with the neighborhood, making sure there's very good um, constructive economic progress in Africa, for example? Well, we are extremely active in Africa and we are ready to expand that. I mean, the migration crisis has made the European leaders wake up uh, that we have to develop a new development policy. And for that new development policy, we need strong financial instruments and partners. And as the crowding in bank of the European Union, the EIB is probably the best institution to be helpful there. We are ready to, to, to do that. We already are doing it in the uh, uh, Economic Resilience Initiative for the Southern Neighborhood and the Western Balkans, and we are ready to expand that further. We are available in Africa for more than 60 years now and uh, have a lot of experience and presence in Africa. But we had the big difference to, to many in development political uh, activities in the last decades is we do not finance governments. We finance projects. And if we want to get these projects financed, we must make them bankable first. And that must uh, means we must speak the language of the private sector, uh, which we expect to invest more also in Africa. So this is our role. And in that context, I think uh, we have a big role to play on the European Monetary Union and deepening of, of the European Union. I believe that we must use this opportunity of unparalleled or unexperienced unity in the European Union in order to deepen the union, including the monetary union. Uh, for that, you need basically, in particular, two institutional conditions. Number one, a backstop facility for, for difficult days. And with ESM, we have something like the European Monetary Fund in the making. And in addition to that, for in order to be counter-cyclical in difficult times, but in particular to address structural issues in better times, you need an investment facility that addresses investment gaps in Europe. This investment facility exists as well with European Investment Bank. So if we put these instruments together, maybe joined by a deposit insurance scheme, I think we are already there and it doesn't make sense to invent new institutions. Werner Hoyer, thank you for joining Davos Confidential. Thank you very much. John Harris, Politico's global editor-in-chief. Welcome to Davos Confidential. Thank you. Let's talk about the Trump elephant in the room. Um, he's obviously dominating conversations in the halls here in Davos. What's your reading from back home in America? There's a lot of hype. People often hate what they hear from the president and the fuss it all causes. But substantively, what, what is changing in America? And do people have a reason to be angry about where the country's headed? Well, first off, uh, with respect to Trump, he is going to be here uh, because the government is, uh, is, is now going to be open. It looked like for a while he might not come because the government was closed. And that would be one of the things, uh, a, a symptom uh, of what people are upset about. There's an abiding sense. I don't think that's changed, Ryan, uh, one year into Trump, that 
American government is, is chronically dysfunctional. It argues and argues and argues over the same issues, uh, but it is not fundamentally working um, to resolve issues. That, that, that is the essence of what government should do, is identify problems and, and it, uh, maybe not resolve them for all time, but resolve them for now. American politics has been stuck deep in ruts on certain types of issues. Uh, uh, trade is one, spending is, and health care are, are, are two others. And now we've seen when uh, globally significant leaders come here, sometimes they don't take the chance to speak to a global audience. They're really playing politics back at home. And I notice that Trump is bringing nine of his cabinet, including his full economic cabinet and Rex Tillerson here to listen to his speech. Do you think he's really going to be talking to the room or is he going to try and hammer some domestic political points instead? Oh, I think he can do both simultaneously. Uh, I think it's notable that he's bringing such a large delegation. And I think it's notable that uh, President Trump himself personally wants to come here. Uh, there's a paradox with uh, Trump. Uh, he's attracted to uh, some of the same institutions and people that he claims to be disdainful of. The best example of that day in, day out is uh, uh, the New York Times. Our old colleague at Politico, Maggie Haberman, uh, he'll denounce her on Twitter and then give an interview the same day. He's attracted uh, uh, to... to well, he, he loves the fight, doesn't he? This is like uh, the heavyweight title fight, the best one you I could imagine. I think he regards it as a great party. Everybody talking about him, uh, uh, thousands of people in our profession, in media, uh, and uh, lots of uh, really rich, really connected people, precisely the kind of people that Trump has spent his whole career interacting with. Uh, so I, I think he would have been hugely disappointed if he couldn't come. I think he thinks it's a great party and a great opportunity, great platform, both to speak uh, to an international audience and explain himself and, of course, to speak to that domestic audience. Look, I'm over there. Um, uh, among all these international leads, standing up for your interests. Now, he's seen himself through three weeks of government functioning, but we're going to be returning to these questions pretty soon. And you were reminding me yesterday that there's often unintended consequences to government shutdowns. Bill Clinton's affair with Monica Lewinsky started well, during a government those, shutdown, yes, for example. Uh, uh, when the help is away, sometimes the principal gets in trouble. Uh, and... Uh, so far as we know, uh, there's no such episode like that. But uh, he's, dodged, uh, he's dodged one bullet is what I'm saying. Is there another hail of bullet fire that's going to come in three weeks' time? I think they've got to resolve a substantive issue about what to do uh, on the immigration issue and specifically what to do with the, the so-called dreamers, the, the children of uh, people who emigrated to the, to the United States illegally. The substance of the issue is not that hard. It's a hard political issue. If you put Donald Trump Paul Ryan, the House uh, Republican Speaker, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican uh, uh, leader, and uh, a leading delegation of Democrats, they could uh, probably solve it substantively if they were on truth serum in an hour. Both Chuck Schumer uh, on the Democratic side and uh, uh, these Republican leaders uh, know that they don't have latitude. Uh, um, they, they have very narrow latitude in which to cut a deal. Mm -hmm. And that's also what national leaders do sometimes. They get out of their domestic quagmire because they appear more statesmanlike on the international stage well, to carve out really, a bit more space. Uh, historically, that would be true of many presidents. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that that's necessarily been uh, President Trump's uh, strong suit or one that he's tried to make his strong suit. But I do think it's notable uh, that if there was any element of Trump that even many people uh, here at Davos a year ago found compelling, they're like, well, we could use a dealmaker in the Oval Office. We could use somebody who was liberated from the past. We could use, uh, use somebody who was liberated 
uh, from the constraints of his own party and uh, uh, cut some deals, right? And that's Trump fashioned himself a deal maker. I have to say what's notable about the, uh, the Trump record one year in is he's not really an effective deal maker. Uh, they did pass tax reform, but they did that on strictly uh, Republican votes. And we haven't seen that, uh, that, that deal-making magic really uh, come into play on any difficult domestic or foreign issues. Now, another deal-maker who's very well known to the folks here in Davos is Anthony Scaramucci. He used to put on a very elaborate, very expensive wine-tasting night here every year before he had two hot minutes in the White House. Mm-hmm. He's back here in Davos. Is there any chance of a comeback? from the mooch, or is he dead in the water as far as politics is concerned? I mean, I think one notable thing about Trump is uh, you can always uh, come back uh, come back in if you're useful to him, um, uh, either useful uh, uh, politically or, I would say, useful uh, psychically. And I say it's psychically because uh, Trump really soaks up uh, uh, praise, obviously, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I think people who are on the outside but seen as praising him are actually more attractive to him uh, than people who are on his own staff, who he can, you know, uh, he can beat, uh, he, he can kind of beat like a dog. Well, there you are. Mooch, if you're listening, you've got some homework. John Harris, thank you so much for joining us thank on Davos Confidential. Thanks for listening to another episode of Davos Confidential. A big thanks to Andrew Gray and Michelle Stoddart for producing the podcast back in Brussels. If you'd like more information from Politico on everything that's going on up the mountain here, then sign up for our daily Davos Playbook email. Go to register.politico.eu forward slash Davos Playbook. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.